You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we are back with another edition of the M Squared TechCast. And uh, Mike, just to prove you really can do these shows from anywhere, is uh, several thousand miles away from us here in Michigan. Yeah, I'm up in Seattle, about two thousand miles away, where it's not—it's just eleven o'clock in the morning here. So, okay. uh, uh, but anyway, I'm trying to stay on Eastern time as best I can. But eh, you know, I've been here five days, so I probably adjusted to Pacific. But coming back tomorrow. So uh, what we wanted to focus on today, uh, at least in the first half hour, is election security, as in cybersecurity, not physical security, although there may be some issues with that as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, Jocelyn, uh, uh, our Secretary of State, uh, has prohibited folks from carrying guns at polling places, which makes a lot of sense to me. (laughs) Wasn't (laughs) sure why they would do that anyway, but it's Michigan, so we have all sorts of folks here. But uh, what we're going to focus on, we have Richard Steenen and Dan Norman, two of our cybersecurity experts, and I'm going to see what they have to say about the issue of how, I, I guess the big concerns somewhat, uh, whether the, the voting rules might get hacked, because I guess some of them, they attempted to do that in 2016. We think that was the Russians. Uh, the other issue, of course, is the mail-in ballots, but I don't know whether uh, that, that we have concerns there, but I I'll let you guys run it from here and take over whoever wants to start. What, do you have any concerns, or do we have this under control, or where are we at? You're, you're waving at me, Dan. Well, <laughs> you know, um, every single uh, sector of the industry, every single sector of government, uh, learn security as they go. And they don't get serious about it until – there's some serious incursions and breaches. And then just like for individuals, right? All your friends on, on Facebook don't learn to turn on the Facebook strong authentication, you know, using your cell phone to authenticate you until after they've been hacked. And they have to email all their friends and say, my account was hacked, you know, blah, blah. I'm going to, you know, and you learn that over time. Many of us learned it a lot earlier before some of these social media sites were around. Same with large enterprises. They're just totally oblivious. Then there's major breach. They find out about it from the credit card agency. Then they hire a CISO and get serious about it. And usually you don't hear about them in the news for cybersecurity anymore. There's an infinite array of companies that are still in that state. Now, in my experience, Stan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but state and local governments are way behind the times, right? They've never had budget set aside. Um, they've got no reason to take security seriously unless they've suffered ransomware attacks recently and they've had to pay ransomware. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, hey, our entire ability to do what we're supposed to do as you know, elected and appointed officials depends on technology. You know, A lot of them are the age of, yeah, everybody on this call. Um, they grew up without having any of that technology. They probably had their first computer only a few years ago. They don't realize that everything depends on this technology and security is, is going to be a really big problem. I, but after saying all that, even though I'll say that, yes, the, the organizations in charge of voting are horribly prepared from a security perspective, a cybersecurity perspective, um, I'm not concerned about election security because there are 3,141 separate entities all with different infrastructure for counting the vote. The polling places all managed by counties and most, if most states are like Michigan, I'm sure there are some that have a statewide technology infrastructure. Um, So they all use different technology. They all 
have different processes in place. And it's something that's grown up over 200 years as they figure out how to effectively count a, a vote. That said, there will for sure be hacks of the election offices. Um, and I'm not worried about the votes being miscast, uh, possibly miscounted. I'm worried about how certain entities will take advantage of the knowledge of that hacking to cast the entire vote into doubt. So that's kind of my statement, I guess. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, no, thanks. And thanks, Mike and, and Matt and, and uh, for having me on today. And, and Richard, I, I largely agree with you. I think I'm a little bit more concerned. Um, you know, five days ago, the Department of Homeland Security, CISA, the, the uh, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, came out with an alert said that some of the agencies have already been hacked. Um, so um, there's, there's reports out there. You can you can see them on, you know, Fox, CNN, whatever, you, you know, AP. They're all out there. Um, I, I guess overall, I'm, I am with you, Richard, that I think that I, I feel um, relatively confident that this is going to go smoothly. I, 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 I guess there's a couple things I would say in specifics. I mean, we know that the databases, the, the peripheral systems have been hacked. The story here, um, hackers targeted a virtual private network flaw and net login. A um, uh, couple vendors, Tenable and some others, have said this just happened last week have said that all of the patches were available, but they weren't applied. So back to Richard's point, um, these were systems that maybe have um, the, you know, the, the, the roles of who can vote and, you know, what district, what precinct um, there, there's some, there's some, you know, vagueness, if you will, some grayness about what they're actually sharing, what happened and what didn't happen. But it sounds a lot like, you know, 2016, a little bit revisited. I think by and large, all overall, the states have, have improved. They've gotten a lot better. There's certainly all eyes are on this. Um, it's been, you know, election, even during the midst of the pandemic, has been the pixie dust in state government, local government system, meaning that it's gotten money. Um, you know, the FBI, the Homeland Security, all of the uh, intelligence community is looking at this or looking at foreign influence. I agree with you, Richard. I think overall, am I worried that you know, there'll be huge hacks. Of, like, they're not going to hack the machines. We have paper, paper backups. I think, by and large, that's good. What worries me the most, honestly, is this. If we get a very close election, if this is a blowout, like right now Biden's way up in the polls, I think it's, it's, it's a non-story. If we get a very close election, what you know, we always say in, in, in cybersecurity, but in technology, in, in, in the whole area of how we do what we do in, in this business, it's people, process, and technology. It's all three, people, process, and technology. And I actually am worried more about the process than the technology, and that, and that is this, in this regard. Um, so many states, and there's many states, I know where you're out there right now, Mike, Washington State, they're like all, there are a lot of states that are all mail-in ballots. They've been doing it for years. They do it well. A lot of other states, their people are talking. I've had some states, Delaware, some others, where they're talking 10x, 20x, even more um, of what the mail-in ballots were before. Now, so the question then becomes, in a very close election, I don't think it's going to be close in Delaware, <laughs> but I, 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 uh, in some states, including Michigan and others, you know, how will that counting work? Where, you know, these stories, and, and part of it's all wrapped in one. It's not any one thing. It's with the fake news, with the foreign influence. I mean, right now, we don't know that the whole Biden story in the, in the New York Post. And I don't want to get into politics here. I want to stay, you know, on technology and cybersecurity. But, you know, is it real? Was it not? You know, we more emails again, right? We heard about Hillary emails four years ago. Now we have the Biden emails. Most people think they weren't real. But again, we don't know for sure. I don't know for sure are those emails real or not. I mean, you know, from Hunter Biden and all that. My point is not whether you believe it or not or whether you're going to vote for Biden or Trump. That's not what I'm getting at but like influence. And then the challenge of when we count those votes, you know, if, it, if it's really close in those, in those states, and to your point, I agree with you, Richard, it's so distributed around the country. Um, by and large, 90% are going to be fine. The question is the bad guys know that if you can, if you can target 10%, the, those, those, those real um, battleground districts within the battleground states you know, what happens there if we get really close? I mean, I think that's my biggest fear and and the, and, and the integrity of the process. Not that it won't be done well, but how will you know? I mean, how will people believe 
that in fact the processes were followed, we weren't overwhelmed by counting votes by mail, et cetera. So I worry more about the the, the social media influence, foreign governments, and then the perception of what that means in a, in a in a in an election where a lot of people say, and I'm I'm not against mail in ballots, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's gonna be a big change from previous years. We're gonna have a lot more mail-in ballots. I mean, I think oh, yeah. that's my actual biggest fear is how states do um, with many people, by the way, one last point, um, you know, we talk about physical security, Mike, you mentioned, you know, a lot of people, a lot of elderly people run those polling stations and a lot of them will not be coming out. So you're going to have a lot of new people in those polling stations. Um, you know, I'm going to vote in person. I'm not going to do by mail. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, is it the same people we've been seeing for the last three, four years, or is it a whole new, whole new group of people that are in there. So I think that's my biggest fear. And it is a cybersecurity fear because it's all this wrapped together in one bundle. I have, I have two questions for you guys. First, first of all, a comment that here in Michigan, I think all of our secretaries of states and city clerks and, and uh, township clerk staffs should have been getting ready for a huge influx of mail-in ballots or, or absentee ballots anyway, just because that law was passed in 2018. You know, this is no surprise for us because of the pandemic. They knew this was coming. Um, the only the, the kinds of hacking I was wondering about is, uh, are you worried about people hacking into voter rolls and voter systems and just like taking people off the voter rolls to cause chaos? I mean, is, is that something we need to worry about? Richard? That's a very scary prospect, but that could really mess things up. I know I went to the primary that was in August, right? And and I hadn't got my mail-in ballot in time, so I had to show up in person. I showed up, and you know they swiped my driver's license, and blip, there was an issue because they had <clears throat> issued me a mail-in ballot. I couldn't vote in person, so they just got on the phone to the county clerk's office. Actually, the you know here in Birmingham to the local person cleared it up in a second. They just you know checked me okay. as you know my mail-in ballot wouldn't work, and that's fine. I mean, in this little district third precinct in our district, uh, you know, probably 150 people voted, but you know, there's going to be all 12,000 people are going to vote probably coming up in two weeks. So they won't be able answering the phone and making manual changes like that. So I agree that that's a, uh, that could be an incredibly powerful hack. You can just bog, you do one of those every five minutes, you shut it all down. Yeah, the other thing I saw about a week ago, I think I sent it to you, Reggie, maybe two weeks ago. There was some talk. There's already been a lot of ransomware incidents with the various city governments, uh, state governments around the country. And there was some speculation that if you really wanted to cause chaos, you would hit some cities with some ransomware attack on or before Election Day and really screw things up. Do you think that's a possibility? Completely. It's probably, you know, happening anyways, but the ones that are around election day are going to be uh, associated with it. That's for sure. I agree. Well, I know, I know in terms of, in terms of hacking the actual election results, if a lot of places do it the way I live in Dearborn, and if a lot of places do it the way we do it in Dearborn, I'm less concerned about that because none of it's connected to the internet. The individual polling places have ballot counting machines that essentially record the results on a thumb drive. It doesn't look like a thumb drive. It's a proprietary thing because of the company, but that's what it is. And then they take those to the city clerk's office and she adds all of them up again, not connected to the internet and puts something else on a thumb drive and sends that to Wayne County downtown to add to the County total. So at no point could you get into those numbers because they're not connected to the internet. And I'm hoping most other jurisdictions do something like that. So let me just add on that on that point, Matt. I mean, I agree with you. And again, I, I think Michigan does a really good job. And there was some recent studies that gave Michigan very high marks on how we do um, our election systems. And and uh, but there were some that gave low marks to Florida. And and I don't know if you guys again more stories out there. Another uh, reason you know, to hate Florida's Florida. Got a history yes. here, <laughs> counting you know, Chad's going back twenty years ago. Yeah, with yeah. hanging Chad's, you know, we're looking <laughs> hanging you know something else, data or something. Um, you know, and, and, and they were saying some of those systems were connected to the Internet, some systems that actually were, in fact, in Ohio um, that were retrofitted and changed in Ohio and updated. They did not have the money to do it in Florida. So, again, you hear these different stories around the country about different places. They tend to be one off stories. Most of them can be verified. Um, 
is there a risk in Florida? Yeah, there is. I mean, I I think that the point I would say to, to, to your question about voter rolls and, and ransomware, you know, could it happen? Yes. Um, am I generally optimistic that the, these people are working it and will do a good job? I mean, I, you know, it's, I, I'm about as optimistic as I am that Michigan State's going to beat Rutgers this Saturday. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think it's going to happen, but could there be a Rutgers upset? I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. I mean, I, I, you know, I do think that there are, there are, um, there are a lot of things that, 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 that people can, may not think about. For example, on the rolls, Richard, back to your example, you went in in person, you know, and, and I, we had a, 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 a panel I was on uh, two weeks ago with some people from Estonia and how they do online elections in some other countries around the world. And it's like, what, if, you know, all these questions around what if, you know, what if somebody votes online and then they show up in person? Um, what if, I mean, I can give you all these different scenarios. Well, you know, you say, well, this is how it's supposed to work, you know, and and we can walk through the process. Well, this happens and this happens and this happens. So when I say I'm concerned about the process and it's the trust of the American people. And again, I think if it's, if it's a pretty, you know, if, if the polls are right and Biden wins by as much as, again, I'm not getting into politics here, but you know, it's not close. Then I don't think that's going to be a big issue. If on the other hand, it's really close then everyone's going to be looking like, were those processes followed? You know, how was Mary Jo, did somebody get to vote twice somehow? Did, did that name get really get, and then now you're getting at, so what does that have to do with hacking? Well, it does because from this, if Richard voted by mail, then he, if he showed up in person, they should have the process and, and, and the connectivity to say, you're not eligible to vote in person because you, you already voted by mail. You know, are all of those things going to work together and and could somebody somehow influence those processes that that's that's more where I, I I am more concerned. Yeah, I think they can they can mess the processes up, but they can't actually, you know, give us completely wrong results for the election. Oh, I agree. Right. That, that we don't know about. We'll, we'll figure out that the you know, whatever at whatever point the numbers become public. Somebody handled it beforehand and they could say that wasn't the number I reported, you know, so something went wrong. I agree. Yeah. No, I'm with yep. you. And and, and, and I, all I'm saying is like we saw in the Iowa caucuses with, you know, Mike and I did a session on that, you know, yep. with that, with that app that kind of went haywire. I mean, again, sure they got to the right result in the end, but it did, it, it, you know, created a, uh, you know, created a few hours of, of mayhem on a lot of, um, you know, TV stations um, because nobody got the results in. So, I mean, it, it, it you know, it's just kind of like, okay, um, I, I agree. I think we're going to get to the right result. I think I, I'm, I'm optimistic, and I, I encourage all listeners to vote, number one. Get out there. you know, get it, Make sure you know how to do it and do it the safest way you want to do it. Um, I, do, I do have trust in the system, um, but you know, I'm not going to tell you, you know, that I have no concerns because I do – as you mentioned, Richard, think that ransomware or some of these other things, and we have examples right now in Florida and some other states where there are problems. I'm glad you mentioned Estonia because um, they always come up there in my mind as the, a counter to the argument. A lot of security people say, you know, it's impossible to have secure elections. Um, a lot of it because the actual voting machines you know, we're running on windows and they're never patched and all the rest of that stuff. But Estonia just, you know, they kind of reinvented themselves as a new country in 1991 and they didn't have infrastructure. So everybody just went right to cell phones. So everybody had cell phones and early on they started putting, you know, digital identity, digital certificates in those cell phones. They issued them at the equivalent of a DMV. So all of a sudden you had every adult uh, with a identity that could be used for things like starting companies, yeah. uh, whatever, and voting. And they introduced voting and now everybody can just vote by phone. And they thought of every what if, you know, what if your boss makes you sit down and vote for his candidate? You can change your vote for 24 hours after yeah. you submit it. it mm. It's just it's beautiful. And I agree I, with you. I'm hundred percent with you. I think yeah. that is the model. And I think for 24, you know, four years from now, we should be looking at that. You know, I really do. Definitely. I think I'm with you hundred percent. And Every start, in 20, start in small areas, you know, start yeah, 20, with, start 20, with white. I'm sorry, Rich. Go ahead. I, I'm just saying that, you know, we tried this with smart cards back in the day 
uh, the idea being that that's how you should do online banking, right? Is have this digital certificate with you. And the trial, you know, it's like a $20 million trial was on the Upper West Side of New York City. You know, so the total opposite of a contained environment where you could control things mm. instead of, you know, Hawaii or, you know, Puerto Rico or someplace where you could actually get everybody enrolled and have a good track of it. So that would be my next question is how do we improve the system? And, of course, we have uh, so many issues in this country. Uh, uh, but, I mean, is Estonia the model then? I believe so from everything I've seen. And I've visited Estonia in 2009. Um, they didn't have the voting 100% back then, but they do now. I've heard the CTO of Estonia talk at a conference and he walked through their whole process. And if we, all we have to do is go and ask them for help and they can advise us on how to, how to do this. I agree. I think it is as well. I think, I think Estonia is the model and it would require, you know, some changes obviously in America, because obviously it's a small country, you know, a couple million people right, know, we're, right. we're, we're 300 and what, 320 something. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely uh, a, a model we should take a hard look at. Yeah. And then we just, we do have to figure out, you know, not everybody has a cell phone that granted. Right. So you can't, and that is pretty much a long economic line. So you definitely can't have a system that is only people that can afford a, $1,200 iPhone. Uh, that's not going to work, but I think we can figure it out. Okay. So to uh, paraphrase Mr. Dillon, everybody must get Estonian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other points you want to make on this before we turn to some other issues? Well, I want to say when I read reports like that one that came out from security scorecard, who's, you know, basically scans each state, yeah, and gave it a score based on yeah. what they found. Now, mind you, you know that's just so minor, right? If you look at the voting registrar website and find vulnerabilities and old software in it, that that's a measure of their inability to do security. I agree with that. But I want to point out that Michigan got an A in that, and mm. I credit Dan Lorman <laughs> with that for all the work he put into the man who started it all. That's <laughs> right. I don't know that I get credit, Richard. Thank you. We Come on, you set up the processes. You got us thinking about security practically before any state, and that's why we're probably in such good shape. Now, we should probably mention that, that Dan is the former chief information security officer for the state of Michigan and worked uh, for 17 years at the 17 state. 17 years, yeah, correct. Yeah, and, I, and I called on Richard to give me advice. So, Richard, you deserve, you know, he keynoted several of our first few. Uh, we just had another um, North America International Cyber Summit here in Detroit. Oh, yeah. um, yep. And it was our, what, our eighth. And um, Richard, I think, keynoted uh, for lunch, you know, the first two or three. So it was uh, always, always great to have Richard and all of you guys involved in that, you know, those early um early summits with, with Governor Rick Snyder. But I think Governor Whitmer is taking it very seriously as well, as are, you know, the whole Michigan government. And I, I agree. I, I think it's it's a good reflection on Michigan. I, I do think we do well here in Michigan. Um, and, uh, yeah, I give credit to the team because they've been doing a great job. Yep. And, and to give uh, Richard his due, uh, Richard has uh, written a number of books. Uh, there will be Cyber War. Why don't you name a couple of your other books, Richard? Uh, most recently, I wrote a book on uh, how to be an industry analyst called Curmudgeon. And then... Uh, Very read... good likeness of you, too, by the yeah, way. I think so. <laughs> so. I had to sit for that photo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've written a book called uh, Security Yearbook, which is a history of the IT security industry. Great book. Yeah. All right. We got about six minutes left. I know some other topics, and particularly, Dan, you want to touch on? Go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the big things that's you know not getting a lot of attention right now um, is uh, the unemployment fraud challenge that's happening in a lot of states. I actually feel a lot better about the elections than I do about that. And I think what's happened, you know, of course, everyone knows about you know the, the, the skyrocketing unemployment and, and the number of people who applied you know, legitimately, and and the goal, of course, of getting getting out those checks quickly, getting people you know the money who need it, right, who are unemployed, and I you know again taking politics out of this, this is crossing, you know, Democratic Republican lines in all 50 states. Almost every state, I think every state actually, has had huge numbers of um, unemployment fraud 
where, you know, people were getting letters in the mail saying here, you know, either verify your information or, you know, get, you know, go ahead and getting debit cards, you know, that but people were filing false, um, false unemployment claims. And, uh, you know, having a lot of that here in Michigan, it's around the country. It's really happening. I've seen it. I was on a show last week in, in Massachusetts. Um, it's happening in Boston. It's happening really across the nation. And it's, it's pretty scary. Um, it's hard to get through even when you, if you do, if somebody does have, you know, you've gotten those letters in the mail um, and, you know, you, you try and say, this is fraudulent. I'm not unemployed. I'm, you know, um, I, but, you know, even getting through to somebody, it's long wait times on the phone. Uh, and again, I'm pretty much all 50 states. And then also, um, you know, just a, a lot of this, where, where's it coming from? And why is this about a cybersecurity story? Well, those credentials are coming from the dark web. The people are, you know, those hacks that have happened over the years are coming back to haunt us. They've got people's names. They've got your addresses. They've got your social security numbers and they're filing un- unemployment benefits. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's, it's honestly not getting better at the moment. I hope we get our arms around this. I know there's a lot of work being done on it in here in Michigan and other states around the country, but it is a huge challenge right now. And obviously the focus on the election, the focus on, you know, COVID-19 and everything, and it should be, but just not getting a nearly as much coverage as I think. And again, it's impacting just one more point. It's not just impacting those who are fraudulently having, you know, their identity stolen, but it's also the ones who really need the benefits can't get through because then the phone lines are all jammed. So the same people are now working the fraudulent claims can't work the other claims. So it, it really is a huge challenge right now. I'd love to hear any thoughts that Richard has on it. Yeah, I think it's just sad. Anytime you take, you know, a trillion dollars and try and pump it out to 30 million people, um, fraud is going to be there, right? And, and the kind that I hate the most, of course, is the the actors coming from wh- whatever part of the world that are tuned into enough that they can immediately start uh, chugging and plugging and, and trying to, to get some of that multi-trillion dollar payout. Um, but you also have, you know, fraudulent claims made by, you know, people who are employed or unemployed, just as you do with, you know, with any system that's writing checks, right? There's always fraud. Um, I remember when Visa and MasterCard used to call me up, I'd talk about security with them. They'd go, you know, security's not, it's half a percent of our losses. Seven percent of our lo- losses are fraud from cardholders. Our customers are defrauding us. Um mm. And it's just, you know, we've got to have processes in place. And, and I could, we could address this with the exact same technology I was talking about for voting. Exactly. Right? You know, if somebody's got their digital certificate tied to their payment method, you just push a button and give them money and be all taken care of. So there's so much that technology could do for us. And we tend to um, do some of the things and then get overextended and expose ourselves to the security issues in doing so. I just think one one other point though, Mike, I I just, I do think that, you know, in this case, you know, a, we've talked about these data breaches all the time and we know all these millions of records, billions of records, and that's now really coming back to bite. And I do think this is a classic case, again, not democratic Republican politics here, but just the, the push to get the money out fast. It was like speed I think in many cases, they didn't do those verifications. They didn't do the checks they could. In many cases, I know people here in Michigan who they've been employed since the beginning of COVID. They haven't, I mean, they've you know, struggled, but they've had no unemployment. And, and, and they were, you know, forms they got saying we've been unemployed, you know, people getting checks going back to April 1st. Well, you know, wow. if you had just verifications, then, yeah. you know, hey, they know that these people were getting paid. And so the, the verifications, you know, we could do better. We can do better. All all of us, and not just Michigan, all the states need to do better on the unemployment fraud. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about that in 2021. For sure. For sure. And it brings up breaches. So I remember the the talk of all the spam and uh, related to COVID that increased and phishing attacks. Um, that all occurred in uh, March and a little bit into uh, April and May. But I'm, everybody I talked to on the defensive side who's watching all this says it was just a huge spike, and it's tailed off since then. That's why I don't read as much about it. Um, 
But, you know, according to Poneman, the average dwell time for an attacker is about 207 days. So we have yet to see the results from that massive amount of phishing attacks, other than the actual, you know, direct stolen credentials. But a lot of those led to attackers getting a foothold inside large enterprises. So I'm just waiting for the breach announcements probably starting about now and into the rest of the year and early next year that will be massive as these guys who've got a foothold are you know, working their way to the data store that they're after and they're going to steal everything. All right, we're going to have to leave it at that. We're out of time. So uh, go ahead. And uh, Richard, uh, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, just find me on Twitter. I'm at CyberWar. And Dan? Yeah, same. I've been um, at GovCSO, G-O-V-C-S-O, or you can see me on LinkedIn. And Lorman on Cybersecurity is my blog. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, guys, for being with us today. Uh, great informative show. Uh, hopefully, a lot of folks will be able to see it and, and, and heed some of your advice then. Guys, good to see you, Dan. We'll be back in the. We'll be back in just a minute with another segment of the M Squared Techcast. For right now, it's Matt Roush and Mike Brennan, and you're watching MI Tech TV, the M M Squared Techcast. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more at LTU. Possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're watching the M Squared TechCast, MITechnews.tv. And while we wait for our infectious disease specialist, uh, Fred Brown, um, I wanted to tell you a little bit. Oh, what is, I think he's that down down. Old there he is. Is. Okay, he's looking very colorful there in his orange shirt, too. Oh, okay. Where did he go? I even yeah, I very, very dapper. Like, yeah, so. How's it all going? Good. Excellent. I, I didn't take your advice. I'm in Seattle right now. So, oh, well, <laughs> did, you, did you fly direct? That sounds pretty <laughs> ominous. <laughs> That's five hours, right? Five hours. Uh, on, five, five hours on a plane. Yep. Yeah, I flew out on Alaska Airlines. There was nobody in my row, but and there was maybe only the flame was maybe two thirds full, maybe. Um. So oh, your row. That's good. Oh, you do the best you can. I've been here five days and I haven't been coughing or sputtering or anything. So beautiful. Everybody's wearing masks, and I had an N95 mask on. I had a really oh, that that's very helpful. Yeah. So you you had scared the bejesus out of me. So uh, I did. And then every time I went to the bathroom, I pulled out my sanitizer and rubbed my hands and. You schooled me well, Fred. So uh, any touch points, you know your 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 seat bag, seat belts, the window, all that. Actually, you know, spray it all down, and you're you're going to be good. I, uh, um, you know, they're they're starting to look at at at, at air transfer rates in planes. I do. I, I have done quite a bit of consulting now to some of the airlines, and uh, we're finding that the you know the the air circulation is about is is actually very very good because we designed it for smokers. Right, um, and so uh, you know we're, we're actually getting circulation rates that you know in your house you tend to get a circular you tend to get uh, air circulation rate 
um, you know, complete air circulation, I, I believe, in uh, once or twice a day. In, in a good, well-ventilated room, it's more like four to five times an hour. But for the planes, it can be as much as uh, two times, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, every, every, two, every couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you still have to worry about the aerosolization and hopefully you had your, your, your sprayer down at you. Uh, so all, all, all that helps uh, keep, keep, your, keep your sinuses moist. Uh, and uh, and try not to move around too much. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I was pretty much glued in my seat, and then uh, they didn't. Uh, heck, the only thing they gave us was a little bit of water. There was no food service, no nothing, you know. So uh, uh, that was it was a long flight to be very hungry on. But uh, <laughs> the guys behind you tend to oh, geez, but tend to be the you know tend to be the ones you have to watch for right? two two three rows behind within two three rows behind you are the ones you have to watch for. Yeah, yeah, there was, well, that was certainly, like I say, it's still an airplane, and, you know, they they jam the seats in so tight, so it's really, I mean, the people in front of me, I, you know, the woman in front of me is, like, sanitizing everything constantly, so it was, the whole airplane smelled a hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible today, so, and, and it's nice you didn't have a hub, you know, the, the worst thing, you can, the, 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 the time where we have most problems with air circulation is uh, at, at, at taxiing and at gateways, because we don't have the full circulation system go, going. Uh, right. uh, when you're in the air, uh, it's, it's quite a bit safer. And so getting on planes, getting off planes, how they manage that is, is actually quite, quite important. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, I uh, could have saved money by going through a hub, but I said, nope, I'm just going to go direct. So, so yeah. how, and how does it work in an airplane? Do they like suck in that rarefied air from way up at altitude and then, um, you know, pressurize it and circulate it in the cabin or how does that work actually? Yeah. They actually bring in outside air. They actually bring it, okay. it mixes a 50 50 ratio because you don't want to have it, otherwise it, 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 it's cold out there. It's like 40 <laughs> below in altitude, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so you want to have a little bit of inside air, otherwise, you got to, you're, you're, you know, <laughs> you got a trouble. Meat freezer to the floor, man, right? You know, yeah, so that meat locker. Right, yeah. yeah, it circulates <laughs> around to the bottom and then out to the, uh, to the engines and then back through again. So that's how, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah, so it's cool. I, I did put together a couple slides for you guys. Happy to show them if you want, or we can talk about anything else you want. No, go ahead and start with your slides. What, 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 I, I, so I, I guess you guys talked a little bit about the election. Yes, yeah, yes. about about and um, and uh, you know I I I I have to admit I tried to so I I um, I have worked for some from some some of the political parties uh, on both sides of the equation. And um, I asked whether it would be okay for this particular group, whether it would be okay if I showed some material that I created back in May, because I knew you guys were trying to talk about elections. So if it's interesting, I can show you some of the things that we were thinking about back in May, and uh, we could see if some of those things came true. Sure. So, okay. uh, so this is what I was thinking about back in May. Uh, let's see if uh, I can't sh- – I've, I've, <laughs> I've tried to sanitize this. And as I said, I've worked with both parties. So, it, uh, you know, uh, this was from one particular party, and I hope you can't tell which it was from, but you never can tell. So the fir- one, one of the first things I, I we did, I did, was I tried to predict where COVID would be an issue, right? Because I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a COVID person, and I was interested in what was going to happen with COVID. And so you can see that I was predicting based on uh, two factors. One was the prevalence of COVID at the time, and the other was uh, uh, concerning the policies that were implemented at the time. And so it was likely that where you had lots of COVID and they had policies that were actually either quite constrained or quite open, you'd have uh, populations that were upset about, hey, wait a minute, you know, we don't have that much COVID. So therefore, we shouldn't have all these constraining regulations or the opposite. Gosh, you know, everyone's got COVID and we have nothing and we're feeling unprotected. So those are the kind of the two factors we were looking at. One would one would tend to uh, uh, make the Republicans um, more likely to be uh, elected, and the other would make the Democrats more likely to be elected. Right. So overall, you can see that in May, we were I, I was projecting that these were the cities uh, and the and the population areas that were going to be the most affected possibly by COVID. And I, uh, I thought that Alabama was going to have a big problem. And I thought the Northeast Coast was going to have a bigger problem than it ultimately did. So I was wrong about two and three. Chicago had a big outbreak. St. Louis is having trouble. Miami, of course, obviously having a lot of trouble. California isn't having trouble. So I was wrong about number seven. I was worried about Los Angeles at that time. They were having a big problem keeping things down. Atlanta, I thought, and is having a big problem. Texas, is, I thought, and had a big problem. Ohio also uh, isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So that, 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 that was good. Uh, Tennessee, Nashville, Memphis East I, uh, has gotten challenging. Indianapolis is a problem, um, you know, and, and Central North Carolina uh, has had 
issues. And I missed Wisconsin. I, you'll see later, though, that when you put all the factors together, these are the states that I thought were supposed to would, would where COVID would have would play the greatest role in election of the president. This is for the national one of the national parties. And you can see that I thought that COVID would play the biggest role in Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, number three. Uh, North Carolina, Arizona, Wisconsin. I think I would push now Wisconsin ahead of Michigan if I had to, if I had to guess. But uh, don't forget, uh, Wisconsin is quite a bit uh, more Republican leaning uh, than, uh, than than the Michigan. Michigan was more than more is, is more a toss up than Texas, Ohio, Georgia, and, and Iowa. Those those all did were were and still are very much in play. The Democratic conversion states, Maine, South Carolina, Alabama, and, and, and Mississippi, were possibilities. Republican conversion, many uh, Minnesota, uh, Colorado, New Hampshire, were possibilities. So this this is where uh, were and then you put it all together, uh, the maps and the priorities for the different. Uh, uh, parties came out to look like this. And so you can see that, in fact, if you look at a map today, you'll see that people are flying to Arizona. <laughs> they are flying to Michigan. They're flying to Wisconsin. Uh, they're flying to Georgia. And they're flying to Florida and uh, so and North Carolina. So this all basically, you know, came, uh, you know, if you look at where, where COVID was going to be a major, was going to play the, ma- the largest role, the swing state tiebreakers, you can see that, in fact, that is the case. Um, and so you can start to then uh, focus on various counties and populations that you thought were going to be more affected or less affected. And uh, when you do that, and you can see that, you know, the Democrats, for example, would have to hold, if they, if they lose any of these big swing states, then they would have to at least hold these, uh, uh, they'd have to at least hold Minnesota, Colorado, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, some of the East Coast states. Uh, whereas if the Republicans lost, uh, they would have to at least uh, some of these swing states. They'd have to at least hold South Carolina, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, because uh, those, those are the ones that were most at risk for COVID. Now, this is only this is only about COVID and where you want to talk about COVID. Um, and then, of course, the next step was to actually get to the state level and try to figure out you know which states were most likely uh, to move on, on the House of Representatives. Um, uh, and we also did this for the Senate. We also looked at local uh, uh, you know uh, r- r- runs and, and state red legislatures to see and governor uh, runnings and, and and so all those were basically looking at just from a perspective of where COVID was going to be an issue based on policy and based on where like the outbreaks were. Uh, what, what you know, where you'd want to you know kind of focus on that uh, on that. So you can see that Michigan, um, you know, it is a huge player in this space. So our our votes are really important. So everyone should get out and vote, uh, and uh, it, uh, because we are going to we're going to determine the president of the United States in, in about twenty days. Interesting. So that's that's sort of what we do, you know. When we look at a single policy issue and it's dependent on healthcare, then you start to say, okay, you know, where are policy and bad and, and bad or good health related, and where you, where can you make that, or should you try to make that an issue, especially when you're in a in a state that's in an area that's likely to turn one way or the other. You don't want to go, right. you know, full full blast of California for Republican because it's pretty much all blue, but you sure want to start start to look at, you know. Uh, at, at trying to protect what you've got in, in, in Michigan, for example. So that, that, that kind of thing. That's, that's the sort of thing we look at. So, uh, uh, and uh, that, as this was in May, I've, I've since we've, you know, I've, I've, I've worked for a number of campaigns or with a, with a number of campaigns. I don't charge for my, for my work in this, in this particular case, because I'm tr- trying to be uh, objective and open. I, uh, uh, that's my, my job. Um, but uh, all, all the parties have come to me, and a number of states have come to me on these on these issues. So, I just wanted to kind of show some of those some of those things if it's interesting. This, the one of the things that's happening, of course, that I also wanted to talk about um, was death rates. And um, what's interesting is that there are two sort of competing factors that you've heard about in the news. One is the factor that says, "Gosh, you know, we, there's a slight bonus for claiming that your that, that your patient has died from COVID." Uh, there is a there is an a slightly higher reimbursement rate as a result of a COVID attack. And that's to try to compensate the hospitals because they don't, they, they weren't designed to treat nothing but COVID patients and it's very expensive to treat them. Uh, and the reimbursements really weren't set up uh, to, to, to for a surprise virus like this. And so we're trying to compensate the hospitals so they don't 
all have a lot of financial difficulty because they're treating a very different you know, uh, uh, set of diseases than they typically do. And so we've given them and the, and the CMS I, you know, said, you know, because you are focused on the pandemic, which you should be, we're going to give you a little bit more reimbursement. And so people have pointed out correctly that, you know, if you, if you do say that, um, that uh, you've got a patient that died of COVID, they are going to be reimbursed a little bit more. And so there's an, uh, people say there's a slight incentive um, to, uh, to move when you, when you, when things are, you know, 50, 50 or there are multiple causes of death to say it's COVID. Um, you know, if you do this without objectivity, that's fraud. So it's very unlikely that any medical doctor is going to try, is going to risk his entire practice for a slight up, a bump in, in reimbursement. But we think it could be the result. It could swing it by up to 10%. Um, what we do know, uh, though, is that um, we have a steady, a pretty steady number of deaths every year. And you can see, you know, in 2017, 2018, 2019. And the way you really tend to look at whether you're having an excess number of deaths and what that number is versus a normal number of deaths is you look at the trends for the past few years. And then you look at how much extra deaths have been recorded. And then you say, you know, could this be related to COVID? And so when you do that, that uh, the, uh, you know, when you do that, I did this in September 1st, and I looked at, you know, uh, the, the whole swing here. And basically, I thought that on September uh, 1st, we were claiming uh, 185,000 deaths. And um, the actual number was probably closer uh, to between 250,000 and 300,000 deaths. Uh, so quite a uh, beca- and that was because people died without people realizing that it was COVID. Uh, it was a new disease, not a virus. People died at home and, be- and it was with, without, without symptoms frequently uh, or with, 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 with strange symptoms that were thought to be you know, heart attack related or respiratory attack related or an asthma related or from diabetes or pre-existing condition. And so they said, well, that's obviously a condition. Mm-hmm. But if you really look at the numbers, it looks like we have uh, probably probably about 20 to 20 25 percent more deaths than we've actually reported and as we get better at reporting covid that, that this number will start to decline as you see toward coming off the graph in september we're starting to get better at diagnosing and understanding what, what the covid deaths are but overall we probably have had more deaths from covid not fewer um, and uh, you know uh, th- those are the factors that one thinks about in that space so when you think about covid deaths i'll just show you as you know, the, the sad thing is, I think we're about to go, and you've seen this slide before, so I won't go through it in detail, but you can see that you can project a number of different scenarios with COVID, and I showed this slide before, and you could think that, you know, we're going to stay at about even right now, about 1,000 deaths a day across the whole United States, versus it could look a lot like, um, you know, certain areas in Europe, for example, almost went to zero when they when they went up through, through their first, well, maybe it was going to go down, but in fact, when you do all the all the work, and we've, there are about thirty different modelers. I do my I do my own models, uh, and I'm in concurrence with most of the other modelers that we're going to have a very big peak. And you can see that one of the biggest reasons for the big peak is because we have no medicine and no vaccine backstop. In a lot of the other disease areas, we have we have a medical or a disease backstop. And uh, and like in, like in the flu, we've got the flu vaccine, we've got Tamiflu, we've got a number of things that aren't perfect. But they start to at least reduce the, the the virulence and the amount of transmission you have in the virus. We have nothing for COVID, and so we're going to be facing what looks like because we've got uh, we haven't actually controlled the virus because it's moving into November. It likes the cold because we're all going to be moving inside, cl- cl- coming together because it's flu season. <laughs> because we've uh, we 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 haven't really tested enough, and we've got no herd immunity to this thing. It's it's basically ninety percent of us are susceptible. We are going to have, we are just entering what I think is going to be the worst phase of this virus. Uh, we've predicted this before. But what happened on Friday was interesting. On Friday, Pfizer announced that they no longer were going to try for a November 1st approval, EUA, EUA for the vaccine. I, and I told you that was, a, was, was, that was a possibility, if you remember. And it was. On October 15th, they had one last analysis. They, they, so they, they, the way Pfizer runs their, their work, they're testing 44,000 people. And uh, they are looking at cohorts of 500. So every time you close off 500 cases, you look at that cohort uh, and you look at immunity levels, you look at transfer levels, you look at uh, how, how uh, or you look at how much how, how many of the people are have symptomatic uh, disease, and that's the primary endpoint. 
how many people in the placebo group that didn't get uh, an active vaccine and how many of you who are in the vaccine group got uh, a symptom of COVID. And then when you tested them, did they have it? That's the end point for the, for the, oh, that's the clinical endpoint for the virus by Pfizer uh, test. So they closed off on a big cohort of 500 on October 15th, analyzed it, and they announced we don't have enough confirmatory data yet, which means we're going to have to wait another two to three week cycle for another 500 to be looked at until we possibly have the data. And they said that they think that by in 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 the you know late in in, in you know after the midpoint of December, and they'll 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 take another cohort analysis. I think on, on December twentieth, um, they'll have they'll, they should have enough data. So what does that mean? What does that mean? And the answer is pretty surprising. It means 135,000 more people are going to die oh. in the United States. By the end of the year? Uh, no. No. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, no, uh, overall. So by delaying this, uh, by delaying this by a month, if you're, if you're, so what happens is you're, you, that, that, you know, basically they announced we are going to delay from November, from November 1st, which we thought was possible to start vaccination and, and submit to the FDA. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to submit now instead of November 1st, we're going to now submit December 15th or so. My projection is December 20th, but December 15th or so. Well, that's, that's 45 extra days at 3000 deaths per day, hmm. right? Cause we are just, we're moving right along here at a very high death rate. So yeah, it's, it's probably worth about 130,000 extra deaths. That, that, at that at, at 3,000 3, deaths a day, do we get back to the point where there's hospitals overloaded? I heard a very troubling report out of St. Louis last night that there were six hospitals turning away ambulances because they didn't have beds. I mean, yeah. are we going to get to that point again? In, in, in areas of outbreak, absolutely we will. Uh, unfortunately, Wisconsin will have that. Florida will have that. So we'll look for areas of outbreak. Overall, in the United States, overall, we need to get to about seven to 9,000 deaths per day. Um, uh, that If we got to 7,000 deaths a day, we'd start to hit the to, for, for the entire country to have trouble. 9,000 uh, deaths a day, we would be having people being turned uh-huh. away on, on, untreatable. So, yeah, that we're, we're well, getting you know, toward Fred, that. You know, Fred, I, I have a feeling I, I scheduled oh. to have my other knee replaced on January 3rd. I wouldn't do I that. I have my doubts about that date right about now. No, I, 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 I would not do that. <laughs> that yeah, is not going to be a good scenario. Trust me. Yeah. Because you know, the other reason it's not a good scenario is because what happens is if everyone got together on, on, on you know, and had a grand time on on on, the, on New Year's Day, yeah. you know, right. the period of, uh, of 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 catching that uh, of actually becoming symptomatic is about two days later, which is about January third, and yeah. that they will be all asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic of the disease. <laughs> so it is a okay. I would not ever schedule January third for. At this point, that would be sort of the worst possible date, uh, I, I would think, I, sadly. So, uh, yeah, you just cancel that now and, and wait till the spring. <laughs> well, that also spring. brings us now we have the great family reunion season coming up. Thanksgiving oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, of course, Christmas. Um, so I guess if we have dysfunctional families, this gives us a great excuse now to say, I'm sorry, I can't attend. <laughs> Couldn't right? possibly make it. I'm really sorry. COVID is really worrisome. Yes, yeah. there is. I think I think it's a legitimate excuse. I would try to avoid uh, a family get together, sadly. I mean, we, we usually have 40 people coming over for Thanksgiving at our house. Uh, we'll, you know, all the families, all the generations. It's a great time. You know, it's a really wonderful time. And this year, we're going to just going to be Betsy and I. It's going to be the two of us. That's it. <laughs> so, well, I, we yeah. are we are at this point still planning on a gathering of six for Thanksgiving, but all of us work from home. So, oh, well, I mean, that, is that? that yeah, I, I would say six is about the max. Yeah, the, okay. The, 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 uh, and, and I would try to keep Thanksgiving dinner to less than an hour. If you can. <laughs> you yeah. <have> and don't, <laughs> don't, 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 and, uh, and, uh, try and, to crack, and crack a window or something. Style. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> have, have the, have it all plated up and just, uh, you know, deliver, uh, don't do not, uh, serve, serve and transfer. <laughs> food <around. laughs> just oh. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I'll, I'll think about back, uh, about Thanksgiving, what, what, what health policies we should do. And we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, when the date comes, we'll do that. That's a good idea. Basically, yeah, it's only a month away. And what's interesting is that I, I'm concerned that the election is going to actually influence, you know, who is elected is going to influence when we're actually going to see this vaccine go out, right? So suppose that President Trump wins his election, wins re-election. I think at that point, Pfizer will be very motivated and the FDA 
uh, who reports into President Trump ultimately, um, is going to be very motivated to uh, make sure that, that that their review goes as fast as possible. So maybe two weeks, right? Two mm-hmm. weeks is the absolute minimum. So I, you know, then you're talking about a January first. If you know, if, if if Pfizer's right, here it is, FDA go. Pfizer's right, then it'll be January first. Well, on the other hand, if 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 President if, if Vice President Biden wins the election. I know if I, and you're the FDA commissioner trying to score points, you probably wouldn't want to, <laughs> you probably want to wait till about January 22nd <laughs> to, to, actually, <laughs> to actually announce. Yeah, yes, sort, sort of like when those hostages, the day the hostages got released in Iran was not a coincidence. right? I, I, I shouldn't be cynical. I, you know, I think the FDA is very, as a very, very straight up organization, right? But I'm just, you know, you, you can't, you can't help us say, wait, you know, you got a lame duck situation. You know, I am, a, I am appointed, you know, I, I probably want to make sure there are transition teams. I don't think this is going to be a very happy transition uh, if, if if it moves uh, yeah. toward Biden. Uh, say and, the least. So yeah, and and if if it's with Trump, I mean they're full blast, right? So they're going to go pretty fast versus a transition that has some challenges. Um, so that means that you have a first vaccination. So that the, these vaccinations take two times. So first vaccination will be January fifteenth. If you're uh, at, between then and maybe as long as long as first vaccination until February twenty eighth, the end last day of February. So we you know that we have a, a sort of a, a window there, and then you have the second. You have to, then you have to wait twenty eight days for the Pfizer vaccine, twenty one days for the Moderna vaccine. So around between February fifteenth and April first will be injection two, and then you've got to wait another two weeks before you really you really have immune system uh, effect. So. That first vaccine, that first wave of vaccine, which will be 20 million uh, vaccines, it'll, it'll 17 million, 17 million or so of those vaccines will go to healthcare workers, which is appropriate. We want to keep them safe and not spreading disease. About 3 million will probably be essential workers and very compromised and or elderly patients. Just to, uh, uh, and so that's the mix. So we probably won't have any effect of a vaccine uh, through the through probably. You know the say mid on average mid March I would guess on here, um, and that means we're going to have to go through this entire period with the flu season, mm-hmm. which I, and I think it's going to be the worst period of, of, that we're going to face with COVID with nothing. We have really nothing to stop it. So um, I hope that makes everyone happy. <laughs> I'm well, sorry except, about that. But I want nothing to, to stop it except <laughs> except for masks and social distancing and hygiene. And that's, that's all we that's got. Point, Matt. And, and that's a, that is exactly the point I wanted to make. Don't let your guard down, and please get better at using this non-pharmaceutical. You know, washing hands, using masks, all that, uh, because that is going to be the key to staying alive uh, for the larger population at a population level through at least April of next year uh, for for everybody. And we probably yeah. won't, the, the 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 average people of uh, like. Uh, me, who's under sixty-five, relatively healthy, I'm not. I don't anticipate getting a vaccine and having any set, st- hope of immunogenicity, any level of immunogenicity, until at least uh, you know the 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 quarter one, quarter two of neck uh, of 2023. I'm sorry, 2022, 2022. If we're if we're super lucky and get a vaccine at all, right? So. Hmm. So uh, be ready with your masks. Keep, I know I know it's a huge pain, uh, but it's gets it. It really is going to be the method we've got um, to, uh, to 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 reduce spread for a long time. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing a lot of memes lately that uh, you may be done with, with COVID, but COVID is not done with you. So <laughs> uh, like, yeah, yeah, uh, it, it, you know it, you're that that's 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 the problem. That is the yeah. problem. Uh, it, 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 it's relentless. It, it will it will find you and hunt you down. If you if you make a mistake, it, it just takes one mistake and it'll it'll find you. And, and sadly, if you if you're if you're susceptible, like we all are, uh, it'll kill you. All right, we only got about two minutes left, and I know Dave has a hard stop right at oh, the top. Well, you guys have any big questions? I mean, let me. Are there any questions that you guys have? Well, I had mine answered, Mike. You got anything? Uh, just uh, that, from what I can see, although certainly older people with underlying conditions are a, a prime area that could get it, it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be spreading over the whole population right now. Younger people, middle-aged people, older people, everybody's getting it, right? In fact, statistically, um, the the super spreaders <laughs> tend to be teenagers. Statistically, uh, yeah. They're, yeah, they're less cautious. And I remember being nineteen. I thought I was immortal. You know, so it's okay. 
Uh, so it really is incumbent on us to kind of explain that this is maybe not so dangerous for them, but it is very dangerous for their community and people who they care about, uh, like grandparents and others. So, oh, All right. So. What, one minute left. So let's uh, tell people how they can get more. Oh, absolutely. Fred. Fredbrown.com. Uh, please uh, feel free to ask me any questions you have. Uh, I'll be happy to answer them and uh, take a look at all the material. All of this material is up there as well as a little bit more. And I'd uh, love to have you come in and, and see what you think. All right. All right well, Mike, again, a, uh, and go out and vote. Uh, yeah, once again, thanks for being here, Fred. And Mike, geez, a nonstop scare fest today. We had uh, election <laughs> hacks. And... <laughs> well, we do our best. We want to scare the audience, uh, you know, one way or another, or in this case, both ways, you know. So. Uh, yeah, well, it's one way to get people's attention and get them to take this seriously. That's for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks very much. I'll be back in Michigan late tomorrow afternoon. Uh, uh, but right now, I want to thank you from Seattle for joining us on the show today, and and Matt. All right. Well, tune in again next uh, next Monday at two p.m. Eastern time uh, for the live uh, uh, broadcast, webcast, or whatever you care to, uh, wherever you can get a fine podcast. You can find mitechnews.tv and the whole raft of previous episodes going back years now. Until next week, it's Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. And you've been listening to MITechnews.tv. Thanks for listening to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology,